Hello there. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Hey, Greg. Good afternoon, Mr. McGarry. How are you doing on this fine Tuesday? Nice to see the sun. Although it was kind of sunny when we were in here yesterday afternoon. And then, oh, it was cold last night. It was wasn't it? just cool. Yeah, ball last night. I had to put a blanket around me. And first day of summer tomorrow, more like the first day of spring. You needed to put a blanket around Yeah, I had you? a blankie around me. Because I was cold. It was very cold outside last night. Why not just put on a sweater? I forgot to put on a jacket. Because it was decent when we left the house. The sun was shining. So you forgot to put on a jacket, but you remembered to bring a blanket. Oh, I was not smart enough to bring a blanket. I took the blanket from somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Very kind soul who who brought more than their share of blankets. I'll thank our friends uh, Walmer and Heather who are very forward thinking. They have umbrellas, they have all the gear, and they bring enough uh, for the bozos that leave their blankets and their umbrellas behind. So (laughs) thanks to Walmer and Heather, they are always looking out for us at the Ball Diamond. We appreciate it. And after the game, did you stop at Walmart or something and immediately buy a Snuggie? (laughs) No, but I did go uh, right, right in the shower, man, just to heat up a little bit. So I wasn't even brave enough to go in the hot tub last night. Anyway, we digress. Uh, I want to talk about your newspaper habits. Uh, First half hour or so of the program this afternoon, we're also going to visit with Mike McEwen. There's a little bit of a sports theme in a lot of our guests today. I would have expected a show like this when Keith McCullough was in for you last week, but it's just the way it's turned out. And we're going to Pinawa. They hosted an interesting group from China last week or in the last two weeks. We'll talk about what that visit was all about and some economic development, maybe some economic ties with a city in China. We'll go to Pinawa and... I never know. Are you shark? Sharks are okay with you or the in the ocean swimming kind of guy? I always forget. I'm not afraid of, I mean, obviously it would be terrifying. <laughs> the idea of being beside a shark would be horrific, but I'm not afraid to go in the water. No. Okay, so you go in the ocean like I if, you're, go, yeah. if you're on a tropical vacation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael Phelps, you're aware of Michael Phelps? Yeah. Who that guy is? Yep. He's an Olympic swimmer. He is. And, uh, and he likes marijuana. <laughs> that's what I've heard. Michael Phelps to race a great white shark Come as on. part of Discovery Channel's Shark Week. I'm not exactly certain how they're going to pull this off, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. <laughs> I wonder if, they, if they'll be side by side and if the shark will be able to jump whatever barrier they've set up and... <laughs> And then gobble up Mr. What, Phelps. What did Joey Ello say? How'd you like to have the job of putting the goggles on the shark's eyes? <laughs> <laughs> Joey Ello, uh, Phil Aubrey, and Randy Parker, mornings on Power 97, our brother station here at Chorus Radio Winnipeg. Uh, fantastic stuff from them. Not that we like to direct you away from CGOB, but if you're going to stray, that's not a bad place to go at all. Yeah, Phelps versus Shark, great uh, gold versus great white shark week beginning July 23rd. Uh, the only guarantee was that the shark would not be in, a, in an Olympic size swimming pool. That's about all they're telling us at this oh, point. So okay. we may not even have to revisit this. I think I may have blown our whole bit there. Oh. Anyway, uh, well, newspapers, they're in big, big 
trouble as an industry. And this is not a segment. We're not here to bash newspapers. At least I am not. I'll speak for myself on this. I still get the Winnipeg Free Press delivered to my store, to my store, to my step every single morning, except for Sunday. I have the online access. I think the work that the Free Press does in our community is absolutely vital. The journalists do incredible work. They are connected to the community. They tell stories. And I think Spotlight, the movie Spotlight, highlights anything you need to know about the value of the newspaper industry in our communities because traditionally they have had the resources to dedicate two, three, four people to something like the spotlight group that they had, I guess, at the Boston Globe back in the day to work on and dig down into what turned out to be the unveiling of this massive story behind uh, the the actions of of preacher of of catholic priests in in Boston and in fact worldwide they they broke open that case so i i would i don't have really disparaging word about newspapers that's a disclaimer i really want to put out there before we begin our discussion well i would i I'm, you say that you you're not looking to bash newspapers and you don't want to speak for my for me i i'm not here to bash newspapers either and I, it it's always been kind of one of those things that makes me kind of sad when I see as time goes on that the newspaper industry continues to struggle because even though people aren't buying more physical newspapers, they're buying less or fewer physical newspapers, you would think then that the logical step would be, well, I'll just jump from reading the free press or whatever newspaper it is in a physical form, just read it online. Well, that doesn't seem to be the case at least in terms of because we constantly hear about job losses in across the entire newspaper industry so that sort of makes me kind of sad and i guess maybe it's just a reflection of the fact that there are so many places to get news now that you don't necessarily have to rely on your local establishments but is it quality versus quantity or the other way around and that's always the question i have when these local resources go away mm-hmm. could you imagine life without cjob I'm just thinking as a listener now. Forget about the fact that, you know, you or I might lose our job in a situation like that. But could you imagine the lack of stories, the stories that would not be told if this voice was not in our community? I think it would be tragic. It would be a tragic loss to the things that happen in our city that you would never know about otherwise, except for the work of of stations like ours, like the newspapers that tell stories because I'm one of these people that believes everyone's got a story. You just have to, you don't have to look very far to find a good story, uh, but telling them and sharing them is becoming increasingly challenging and to turn that into revenue is becoming increasingly challenging. Now there is a story on globalnews.ca. The headline is newspaper publishers union call on feds to set up $350 million journalism fund. And it reads, Canadian journalism is ailing, and it needs to be resuscitated urgently if the country's news media landscape is to survive and thrive. That is the message being conveyed to the federal government by News Media Canada, an association representing over 800 news outlets from coast to coast in its proposal for a Canadian journalism fund. The industry has come together in an unprecedented way to support Canadians' continued access to real news. That's a quote from Bob Cox, who is chair of News Media Canada's board. 
He goes on to say, across the industry, we are working on longer-term solutions to sustain the critical function of Canadian journalism, keeping as many feet on the streets of our local communities, on the steps of town halls, at annual meetings, in courtrooms, and on the playing fields. We are calling upon government to continue its support of one of our charter rights, freedom of the press, whose very existence is threatened. So this fund would include $75 million from the existing Canadian Periodical Fund, a $175 million Canadian civic news component targeted towards news outlets that, quote, regularly and significantly provide original coverage of Canadian civic news, and a $90 million business innovation pool to assist publications transitioning into the digital realm. Now, here's where, and that's where a lot of people might say, well, hang on, why should we be handing, right. why should we open the, the, the pockets or just start handing out cash? Well, they go on, News Media Canada goes on to say, its demands are reasonable considering the Trudeau government's support for other media. It cites the $135 million annual increase to the CBC's budget. So that's a $135 million increase to what is it, a billion dollars? Yeah, roughly a billion dollars, yep. The CRTC's impending $90 million injection to support local television and the federal government's $134 million contribution towards Canadian television and digital projects last year. The fund could be financed from general government revenues, wireless spectrum sales, or a tax on digital ad sales by companies that are not investing in editorial operations. And I'll just go on to say here that the union has stepped in or has commented as well. Unifor, the union representing 12,000 Canadian journalists and media workers, that does not cover CJOB, by the way, we are not unionized, uh, through its support behind the proposal. The president of Unifor, Jerry Diaz, says Canadian journalism needs this fund to help bear the costs of reporting the news, costs that are increasingly not supported by advertising sales because of Google and Facebook. So that's, I think, enough of of that article. But it, it raises an interesting thought when you talk about how much money the government provides to organizations like the CBC, when you think about how much money the government provides to... Canadian television and other projects, why shouldn't journalism outlets get that same kind of a a helping hand? Well, and I think that's why I want to have this conversation this afternoon to find out, is it important to you? Is it important that you have more voices and are you willing to pay for it? Because based on the fact that these paywalls are popping up between you and newspaper articles, circulation numbers are down, you're speaking with your wallet and saying... It's not important to you. Mm-hmm. So is that the definitive answer? Is it because there are, are we just at a crossroads here where there are enough traditional newspapers that not only print in the standard printed newspaper form as well as online, all of our content is online. We've had to get with quote unquote the times in order to get our product out to people that may never even listen to the station, but may count on our website, Global News. Uh, Global News' website for information that may never watch Global News, may never even listen to CJOB, because that is something that is mandatory to be done. Are we just at that crossroads where there's enough of that information that's available for free, and will it be a case when these newspapers are gone that will lament for their return, and there will be, really, there'll be no turning back? 
204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is also the number to text, but we would love to hear your voice at 204-780-6868. You can also send us an email, brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. So that's spelled B-R-E-T-T at cjob.com or G-M-A-C-K at cjob.com. We'd love to hear what you think about this at 204-780-6868. Should the government be pitching in to help out organizations like newspapers to keep them alive and allow them to continue to provide the service that they provide? Or does that even matter to you? Does it matter to you? 204-780-6868. We're going to have a look at your forecast coming up next. We're talking about the future of newspapers in Canada and a suggestion, a request really, from newspaper publishers to create a $350 million journalism fund. This broke last week, didn't have a chance to talk about it Friday, and yesterday it was on our radar, but other things came up throughout the day. We're talking about it now. We want your feedback, and the first text that we got on this, Brett, reminds me of the fantastic Facebook posts that I got in relation to Sears and their troubles Mm -hmm. and a giant picture of a Sears retail store with the name Bombardier across it. And the headline of the fake news story was that Sears Canada changes its name to Bombardier so that it qualifies for federal assistance. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Kelly says regarding subsidizing the newsprint industry, if Bombardier can get billions in subsidies... The automotive industry and many others included can find subsidies, and why not the newsprint industry? The industry has employed hundreds of thousands, if not millions, since our inception. It's true. It might be a struggling industry, but if you're going to prop up other industries, I would see this one as being worthy, too. We've got phone callers on the line as well. Kevin is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Kevin, what do you have to say about this? Always a pleasure to hear your voices, gentlemen. Um, Myself... I've lived without cable, the internet, for over three years. If there's anything in my whole 48 years of my life I've looked forward to is cracking open a paper, hearing the swish of the papers, and seeing that news. You know, uh, you, you can't just go onto an internet or, uh, you know, look on your cell phone. I'll tell you what, to enjoy that moment of silence that you have with that paper that you're going through and you're reading all this information. It's one heck of a beautiful thing, and I wish more people would do it instead of going on the computers. Kevin, that's a great point, and I thank you for it, at 204-780-6868, because there, there is something, and and I realize that this is uh, maybe an old-fashioned kind of thing to say, but it feels like there's something very civilized about getting your news in a paper, right? Whatever you're doing, whether you're sitting, having a coffee. I would often go to McDonald's before work. When I worked uh, downtown, I'd go to sit at Eat- at Eaton Place at the time and grab a paper while I was eating my egg- sausage and egg McMuffins and read the paper. And I'd sit there and I would go early so that I had time to eat and read the paper. So, yeah, there he, he raises a nice point there. That- I built a lot of my routines around the ability to sit down and read a newspaper. And I'm not trying to tell tales out of school here, but once upon a time there was a young woman I was trying to date, and we had an opportunity to meet at Grand Beach one Saturday afternoon. And I bumped into her, found her, and (laughs) she's sitting on Grand Beach reading the Saturday Free Press 
And I just looked at her and I said, you are the kind of woman that I would like to meet. And, you know, there is something romantic notion about, you know, Americans talk about reading the Sunday paper. There, There is something about that. And even when I'm getting it online, Brett, I'm always worried that there's something that didn't make it onto the online edition of the paper and that there's something that I'm missing. So, oh, you're, so you're worried that even while you're reading the paper that there's bonus content that you're missing out on or, vice, or the when other I'm way When I'm online, around? I'm worried that there's stuff that hasn't made it from the print edition mm. to the online edition that I might be missing out on something. Well, and that's, yeah, that I know, often notice that I have a subscription, for example, to Entertainment Weekly, and they put a lot of stuff on their website, a lot of stuff that actually does not appear in their magazine, but vice versa. A lot of the stuff on the website is meant to be a tease, like they'll give you a paragraph mm. of an article that you have to read in the magazine. We have more text messages here. Uh, and this is uh, an opinion, and I'm going to read it here at 204-780-6868. I recently dumped the free press because of its constant one-sided left-wing slanted narrative. That's an, I thank you for the opinion. I've, it's not, you're not alone in that opinion. I have heard that from people before, so that's... You've got a text there? I do, absolutely. I was just waiting for you to finish your oh, thought there. Ahead. If newspapers are going under, let them fail. If uh, we aren't reading it, it's not worthy of staying alive. There's very little investigative reporting where actual fact without bias or opinion is in the article. But if newspaper business is subsidized by government, it will then be a state media outlet and will not dare to make the government of the time look bad. I don't know about that because the the CBC made no bones about setting its sights upon the conservative government over and over and over again. Jim, we'll just make this quickly here. Uh, we got about forty five seconds. What do you have to say, Jim? Are you there? I, uh, yeah, I'm here. Um, I, I I I do a lot on the internet, and I uh, I find that when I read the local papers here, that there are there's some that's already a day old news, and. Uh, some of the the articles that are they're taking them right off Facebook, or or taking them right off of uh, one of the other uh, news sites. I mean, there is not a lot of local talent here in the newspaper. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to justify paying the cash for the paper when it's free online, and uh, and it's old news by the time it gets there. I, I mean, there's two or three times in the last week I've read articles that have already been I've already read two days earlier out of the Sun. I mean, it's just, it's not worth buying anymore. All right, Jim. Hey, thanks for the feedback. We do appreciate it. And we appreciate all of your feedback at 204-780-6868. Global News at 130 is up next. I'm going to steal right from Mitch Rossett's online story at globalnews.ca. It's not often a Manitoban makes it all the way to the NFL. That's why Brandon's Israel Adonage knew he had to take advantage of his position, Adonage back in Manitoba. Mitch sat down with him. Part one of their conversation aired last night on the News at 6 on Global. You can catch it on our website, globalnews.ca, and just go to the Winnipeg tab, click on sports, and you'll find it there. Here's a little bit of last night's conversation between Mitch Rossett and Israel Adonage. Do you feel like you have a responsibility to be an advocate for guys coming out of the Canadian system, out of Manitoba? I feel more so my responsibility is to let guys know the NFL is right there. But it's only really attainable if you really, really want it and you really see it as something that you can achieve. I guarantee there are a lot of guys here in this locker room going through this program that 
different mindset, they'll be able to achieve and do much more. And, and, and the NFL is something that they could uh, attain. Israel Adonijah, University of Manitoba, Bison product from Brandon, ended up 11 years in the National Football League. And Mitch, I was mentioning when we were chit-chatting with Hal Anderson earlier, the idea that two of probably the 10 most popular athletes in Chicago in the last decade hail from Manitoba. <laughs> yeah, of course, uh, Izzy and then Jonathan Taves, two Manitoba products, two really good Manitoba boys. Anytime you talk to them, they have a good head on their shoulders. They know the importance of not only being a mentor to the next generation, but giving back to their community. Izzy gives back day in and day out with his uh, If Charities. He, of course, comes back to Winnipeg every year now for about 11 years to uh, provide a free football camp for uh, youth to kind of help show them their potential. So a lot of things on this guy's plate, of course, uh, since retiring from the NFL back in February 2015. He's also opened up a few businesses. He uh, writes children's books. He does comic books. And it's all part of his five-year post-football plan. And as soon as I retired, it was about the next company. It was about the next thing. It was about the next program. Uh, and, you know, even just here sitting with you, I mean, I, th I think about the, the journey. And what I think about is how quickly it went by. Like, 11 years in the NFL, it went by in a blink of an eye. You know, my, my years here at the University of Manitoba, a blink of an eye. You know, so for me, I feel like... I'm, I'm, I'm short on time. These next two years will be gone in a blink. These next 10 will be gone in a blink. So for me, um, knowing that time flies and that I'm, I'm, I am short on time, you know, it just gives me more focus like to get there, you know, and, and to kind of complete this thing that I'm trying to build. So this thing he's trying to build, Mitch, I mean, you know, you, you go into the NFL and you'd think you'd want to take a little bit of a break after you're <laughs> done, but it sounds like there's no, he only has one speed, which is full steam ahead. Yeah, it's, he's probably busier now than his playing days. Of course, 150 NFL games, a defensive end. It takes a beating on your body. So like you said, you think he'd be resting up right now and taking some break. But no, he was told uh, early on in his career by one of his mentors to to start thinking about life after football, because we always hear those stories about athletes who come retirement from their game that they play. And, and really, in football, you only have a couple of years to play. They, they have nothing. They have no future. And unfortunately, they go bankrupt. They may run into other kind of troubles. And it's not the career that they were kind of hoping for, the, the life after their career. So Izzy started right away kind of putting together businesses, as I mentioned, um, real estate he's into now and entertainment. And it hasn't always been easy. It's been pretty tough for him actually the first couple of years. His first business, a communal cup uh, company down in Chicago, it didn't turn a profit for two years. But these challenges, well, something that he welcomes with wide open arms. It's really about focusing on seeing the opportunity rather than focusing on the challenge you know so that's really the lens that I look at things through I'm telling you life I guarantee you for all of us is full of challenges the real differentiator is in that challenge being able to see the opportunity that's there but you you have to look at it through a lens that allows you to see the opportunity and focus on that little thing whatever it might be it might be a little drop in a sea of challenges but if you can focus on that drop of opportunity uh, through my experience, that has always brought more opportunity that ultimately allowed me to get to the place where I could exhale, where I could see the win, where I could see the path for success. 
And Mitch, you talked about how a lot of guys come out of the league bankrupt, and this is a man who, as you pointed out, sounds like he was properly mentored, and not only did he come out with a plan, but he's already, I guess, enjoying some success. Oh, a lot of success, of course. He says now he's uh, signing million-dollar contracts for his companies. He doesn't even have to show up to work. He says he's got a team behind him that takes care of all that. He shows up every once in a while to kind of attend meetings and all that stuff, but allows him more chance to give back, something he learned from his parents. Of course, his dad was a longtime pastor in Brandon, and the importance of giving back to his community and, and giving back to all those who have helped him kind of get to where he is, that's what Izzy's focus is right now. I mentioned the If Charities. He's giving back by writing children's book just to kind of inspire them and show them that they are loved in the world. And and that's kind of his main focus right now. The companies are just kind of a side thing to kind of help prepare him in a couple of years, which he maybe does slow down if there's not another five-year plan after the five-year plan. But his main focus is right now is uh, his community and uh, a love of the community. Global News anchor and reporter uh, Mitch Rossett jo- joining us now, highlighting his conversation with Israel Adonage. You can see that feature. The first part aired last night. You can go to globalnews.ca and you can see the first part there. The second part will air tonight during the 6 o'clock news on global television. And when I hear that word if attached to Israel's foundation, Mitch, I can only think about what if... That conversation between Israel and Adonage and head coach of the Manitoba Bison football team, Brian Doby, had never taken place. That whole idea of taking football to another level wasn't really on Izzy's radar. Well, football in general, he was uh, kind of concentrating on basketball in high school, but uh, one of his coaches, even before Brian Doby, one of his high school coaches kind of found him when he was working out in Brandon and recruited him there to the football team, and, well, the rest is history. Of course, he went on from uh, playing high school ball in Brandon to the Manitoba Bisons, didn't go drafted, but worked hard, kind of door-knocked, talking to scouts and agents in the NFL to kind of get his opportunity, and eventually it came, as as we mentioned, 11 year NFL career. The bulk of that with the Chicago Bears even led the league in block punts and field goals from 2005 to 2007. So this guy didn't just kind of show up in the NFL. He made some noise. He made a name for himself. And of course, always remembering where he's from, Manitoba, Brandon, and of course, Winnipeg, his roots. Nothing like watching Monday Night Football the first time <laughs> that Israel Adonijah was in the starting lineup for the Chicago Bears and the players will introduce themselves and which university they went to. And you could see the glean in his eye when he said Israel Adonijah, University of Manitoba. And it was the first time that that had ever happened on Monday Night Football and a lot of firsts for Israel Adonijah. You mentioned he wasn't drafted, but David Onyemata was subsequently drafted. And, and Jeff Gray, what they call a priority signing this past year, the Green Bay Packers, just it, it seems as though we may be just scratching the surface in terms of Manitobans who may find success not only in the Canadian Football League, we've been a hotbed for a lot of years, but now on the biggest stage in terms of football. Yeah, we'll probably hear in University of Manitoba many, many more times, of course, David Onyemata, uh, even reaching out to uh, Izzy Adonji for a little help, kind of some mentorship, uh, both similar paths, not, not growing up football, but kind of growing into the sport, and uh, both of them have communicated, and of course, uh, David Onyemata going into his second year with the uh, New Orleans Saints. You mentioned Jeff Gray still working out with the Green Bay Packers. Should be interesting. Early in the season, Saints visiting the Packers, so mm-hmm. mark that one on your calendar. Maybe two University of Manitoba products facing off against each other of course all those down in the bison's locker room will have that game on for sure 
I just want to ask you one more thing. Brett might have another question for you, but I I, I was fortunate enough to to meet Israel's uh, sister back in the day. Spent a lot of time in Brandon growing up, and and uh, my uh, brother and sister and my mom and stepdad live in Westman. And she was so charming, such a nice person. I've never met Israel Adonage, but it seems to me from what I've seen, he seems to ooze confidence, but also empathy, compassion, just one of those people that just welcomes you in. And really, it comes from his parents. I've never met, uh, going back to Brandon, I worked in Brandon as well, too, and I worked closely with his dad in a few projects. And it was the same thing that it was always others first. It was always making sure you were comfortable, you were looked after before themselves. And Izzy shared a story with me that uh, one day a man showed up to their house uh, hungry and uh, homeless and was looking for food. So Izzy's dad told him to go downstairs, get a chicken out of the freezer. Well, Adonage, when he went downstairs, there's only one chicken left in the freezer. This is a time when there's six kids living in the house, and he knew, well, we might need this for supper today, tomorrow, maybe even the next day. So he went up to his dad and told him, we've only got the one piece of chicken. We can't give it to him. And his dad told him, no, I told you to get that chicken. We'll worry about ourselves after. This man needs food. We're going to take care of him right there. And it's always been kind of the upbringing that he has. And you could see it in Izzy right now, the way he takes care of others, the way he welcomes others. And this is a guy who he's made a couple million dollars. He played in the NFL. You might have a little bit too much confidence, but he makes you feel welcome and comfortable anytime you talk to him, anytime you shake his hand. It's always about you and not him. Mitch, thanks for this, and thanks for bringing this uh, report to our attention, and we appreciate you bringing us even deeper inside on the personality and this profile of Israel Adonijah, really doing Manitoba proud, and uh, great work uh, from yourself on this project. Thank you very much. Mitch Rossett, he is global reporter and sports anchor with Global News. He joined us from our studios downtown Winnipeg at Portage and Maine. 145 on 680 CJOB. We'll have a look at your forecast up next, we opened the hour talking about subsidies to the newspaper industry here in our country. I'm Greg Mackling. He's Brett McGarry. And we've had some heated conversation, not disagreement necessarily, but some very good insight. People's opinion on this. The headline is newspaper publishers union call on feds to set up $350 million journalism fund. And I've expressed, you know, the idea that I think it would be a shame for newspapers to go away. They have such a critical role to play. I think that role has changed somewhat. And Brett, I expressed this to you off air, and it ties into one of the last text messages that we got before we took a pause to visit with Mitch. And that's the idea that the newspapers kind of turned themselves into something less in the 1980s and 1990s with certain types of stories and that I know you really like, what do you call it, that tabloid format, but tabloid journalism didn't really do a lot of newspapers a lot of good either, I don't think, in the eyes of the public. And that might have been where it started, was the type of journalism that was being done and the stories that were being printed uh, wasn't what people were used to in newspapers per se, for, you know, this 50 or 60 years prior to that tabloid newspaper kind of coming out. No, that's a very good point. You have all of these tabloids like the Star or the Inquirer, and so they all have that same kind of format where it's essentially just like a a big magazine, which I think 
is easier to read. But then if you're a regular newspaper, a real newspaper, do you want to go with that format? I always found reading the free press when I was on a, because I would often read the paper on the bus. So I'd be standing there at the bus stop and I'd be looking at the free press and I'd be looking at the sun. The boxes are set at the bus stop and I'd go and I would buy the the sun often be, just because the form factor was far easier and more convenient to manipulate on a bus, especially if it's a busy bus. Uh, but as far as the, should I tell the, <laughs> I'm going to tell the story because what the heck. <laughs> Why not? It was like 1998. I was. You made uh, a decision. I was, it was like 19 or 20 years old. So naturally, this is what are the decision I think a 20 year old goof is going to make. But um, this is, I'm actually downtown at this point. I've gotten off of the bus. And I walk by, there's a, a free press box and a Winnipeg Sun box. And the free press had an important news story on its front page, as that's what they do. And the Winnipeg Sun had on their front page the picture of a of a stripper who was in town to perform. Her name was Crystal Storm, if memory serves correctly. And she had very large assets. So I bought that paper. <laughs> So that, but that I think was, it's stuff like that, that I think kind of hurts certain organizations, reputations, right? Because then people don't take them seriously. I got, a, I, I was on board because, well, A, I was 20 and B, I just found it hilarious that that was what they had on their front page. I'm like, ah, good for you guys. But back to circle, to circle back to your point about tabloid journalism, people might look at an actual newspaper and think, well, that's just a... A tablet. It's just a rag, so to speak. So, yeah, that's not, it didn't really help itself. At the time, it looked like a good idea. Just yeah. like picking up the, <laughs> that copy of that particular newspaper on that particular lit, particular day seemed like a good choice to you. It, it, it tickled your fancy at that particular moment. <laughs> uh, we did have a text here that tied us all in these stories all together it's hard to see the sunshine girl by listening to the radio and that is once again that's part of that change that occurred when when the Winnipeg Tribune went away and the Winnipeg Sun came and filled the void left by the Tribune shortly thereafter well and that a lot of the when you look at the sunshine girl i mean that's stuff that still is um, just a normal thing across the pond in the in the UK, uh, and they wear, I think, uh, quite a bit less clothing across the pond. I think you might be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you got to wonder about that. But we had uh, this is an interesting text at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. I knew it was over for newspapers when mm-hmm. the Free Press printed a a fake front page that was all advertising. So not not necessarily a, a fake front page, but, but the, a, the the front page wrap, the front section wrap. Yeah, that they will dedicate to advertising at times. It's a really good point. Too much bias in the Canadian media trying to push an agenda. They slant their reporting for or against certain governments, projects, plans, ideas, topics. Uh, societal issues, etc. They push their narrative, and I'm tired of it, and definitely don't want to subsidize it. Let the newspapers die, or they can reinvent themselves on their own dime. And I don't think that's any different than what you hear in electronic media. There's always a bias. Somebody has an agenda somewhere up the food chain. I, I don't think that's a secret. Um, that's just 
the nature of the beast and has been for a long time. I think I think we had this romantic notion of journalism in the 40s, 50s, 60s that you know all journalists had no bias and that it was all independent. Well, do some history read your history that that's not necessarily the case that's what we wanted to believe but that wasn't necessarily the way it was all going down so thank you so much for your feedback at 204-780-6868 we appreciate all of the feedback and still to come this afternoon we are going to go to Min- to Pinawa to speak with the mayor of Pinawa to talk about how they recently hosted a contingent of chinese officials and delegates in that area of southern Manitoba, so we'll have that chat at 2.45, and we are also going to talk about the 6th Annual Winnipeg Barbecue and Blues Festival, courtesy of 680 CJOB, presented by Lux Barbecue Company. We'll have that chat at 2.30, and after the news, we have one of Manitoba's top curlers going to join us. Mike McEwen needs your help to be involved in climbing Everest, not Mount Everest. It's a very big curling event, and for some unspeakable reason, there are no men curling teams from Manitoba automatically in this event, but you can change that. Mike McEwen will tell you how you can get involved and make sure that Team McEwen is involved in this really kind of cool event that's already sold out in, uh, I think it's in Prince Edward Island. We'll tell you all about it on the other side of information. This curling event of which we speak is in Fredericton, New Brunswick, not Prince Edward Island. Nonetheless, Mike McEwen needs your help. Somehow, our next guest is not automatically included for this Kind of first-time event. It's a world-class curling event in a novel game format. The event which will will run in Fredericton, New Brunswick, three-day period from Friday, August 25th to Sunday, August 27th. The top women's and men's curlers are to compete for the single largest cash prize in the sport. And as I mentioned, somehow our next guest is not automatically included for this event. No worries. We can help right a blatant wrong. Joining us now is two-time defending Manitoba men's curling champion and multiple Grand Slam slam victories on the Pro Tour curler, Mike McEwen. Mike, thanks for taking some time. How on earth did you and your team get left off this original roster for this event? Well, you know, I, we, we didn't get straight in, but uh, we feel very fortunate to be in a voting battle for the last spot. Um, you know, it's filled with uh, tons, of, tons of great names, uh, world and Olympic champions. So um, even to just be included uh, within this process, um, you know, is, is something. And, uh, yeah, we, we've just been given the task of uh, really having to uh, battle and uh, campaign uh, uh, for support for to, to be included. Mike, we're just going to put you on hold again. We're going to ask our producer, Jeff Forte, and Master Control to give you a call back because we have hit our... Uh, this is now becoming a bi-weekly thing where at least once every couple of weeks we get a, something happens on the phone. and I wonder if it's the gremlins, like they are 
commuting at this time of the afternoon or something. They're moving from one part of the building <laughs> to the other, and they like to hang out in the studio with us on that particular phone. I don't know what it is. And yeah, we're doing a disservice to Mike for taking time if we let the audio continue this way. And we're certainly doing uh, our listeners a disservice if we don't rectify that situation by making a phone call. So we're talking to Mike McEwen. As mentioned, he's the two-time now defending Manitoba champion, multiple Grand Slam victories on the Pro Tour, and he's looking for your support so he can get to something called the Everage, pardon me, the Everest Curling Challenge. 24 players have been confirmed, but the final eight are in your hands, and through to June 22nd, you can select which women's and which men's team will head to Fredericton. Mike McEwen joins us now once again on 680 CJOB. Mike, thanks for playing ball uh, with us on that. Sometimes the technology fails us, so we don't want uh, the technology to fail here. But we want we want technology to work for you because, once again, at EverestCurlingChallenge.com, that's how we can get you into this competition so when you first heard about that this competition was happening did you think oh man that'd be it'd be this sounds like a fun event it 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 does um you know it's it's gonna be a uh eight eight teams of uh mixed curling uh playing for uh you know kind of a do or die winner take all events and uh sounds <laughs> sounds pretty intriguing and um you know, uh, we don't have a direct spot, but we're uh, we're happy to be sort of included in the process, and uh, we just have to really fight and campaign uh, to to hopefully uh, win out and uh, and be included in the field. Mike, can you give us some more insight? They're calling it a novel game format. Thirty two of the world's top women's and men's curlers over a three day period. Typically a bond spiel uh, is pretty tough to get in over a four day weekend. How is this working exactly? Can you tell us? Well, there's, there's still uh, more details to come, but uh, what, what it's looking like is uh, kind of a sun death, uh, eight teams, uh, you know, whether they're random or put together or drafted, I'm not sure. Um, you know, could even end up playing uh, if, if we're fortunate enough to make it uh, with, with my wife, um, which would be pretty cool, or or against her, whatever TSN decides is better TV. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of a you know from the quarters to the semis to the final, just a single game knockout, um, and uh, yeah, winner take all of uh, of uh, the entire prize. So it uh, you know kind of a some crazy high stakes curling in in August to begin the season. Now I'm looking at the website EverestCurlingChallenge.com. I'm looking at the 24 players who are in this competition so far, and I, I do see some Manitoban representation on the women's side. For example, Jennifer Jones is there, but as far as the men go, I don't see any. And I think like that, I think is what really sort of made Greg and I scratch our heads here, is because Manitoba is always in the mix when it comes to curling. I think they, you know, you could you could call Manitoba the heartland of curling in this country. So were you surprised to to see that of all the guys who have been selected so far that they didn't look Manitoba's way? Sorry guys, just breaking up. Oh, okay. Well, I was just saying that I'm looking at the the website here, EverestCurlingChallenge.com, where all of the players who are on the... There have been 24 players who are confirmed. 
the women who are in, I do see some Manitoba representation, like uh, Jennifer Jones, for example, but no Manitoba men, at least from what I can see here. So does that surprise you, given that Manitoba kind of is the, the heartland of curling in this country? Well, yes and no. I mean, if you look at the names on the list, uh, you've got past Olympic champions and the, uh, you know, the past two years of uh, world uh, champions. Um, so it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a short list to get in there. And, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly, uh, some deserving teams, um, that, that could have easily been putting uh, put on that list directly in. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, we're just, uh, I, I think we're, we're fortunate enough to be kind of included within, uh, within that list of, you know, really, uh, well, well, uh, established, uh, and decorated teams. You're going up against Team Epping and Team Adine on the male side, and then on the female side, they have three choices as well. None of those teams are from Manitoba, so we don't have to give them any airtime. But, (laughs) (laughs) Mike, just talk about, before we let you go here, how the game of curling, how the sport has changed uh, clearly, you are professionals in spite of trying to hold down other occupations for, for most of you. This is really curling's heyday right now in terms of popularity. The TV ratings are through the roof. And uh, you're actually able to make a, a fairly decent uh, extra living out of this. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been increasing the amount of dedication to to compete at the top level, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not really any different than any other sport. And, um, you know, we've, uh, it's been growing. There's, there's been, you know, pains along the way, but the, the sports impact on, on television audiences, uh, has been tremendous. So it's, it's definitely been growing. Um, the athletes have, uh, I, I think are, are, are getting really good, uh, profiles within the, the sports, uh, within the media and, and fans and um, it's uh, I think it's a really good time to be curling, especially with, um, with how the, how TSN has grown the game, how sports now has the grand slam series and uh, how it's, you know, become quite a fixture within the Olympics. Um, it's, I, I can't see uh, any downside to it uh, getting bigger and better. Hey, Mike, I was just curious about this because, you know, as long as I've been working here at 680 CJOB and reading sportscasts on the weekends, Manitoba is always in the mix for curling when it comes to the national events. Uh, not not every single time, but more often than not, it seems like Manitoba is a perennial kind of favorite. So based on what you've gleaned from being a part of that, is would you say Manitoba is seen by kind of the national circuit as one of the the favorites heading into any competition? I think so. We we have such a long storied past. Um, you you just look at some of the names. Uh, we had the big three in men's for for such a long time through the throughout the entire nineties and into the two thousands. We had Vic Peters, Jeff Stoughton, Kerry Burnick just win a ton. And, um, you know, the, the ladies side obviously, uh, has had some great names with, you know, Connie Lalliberti and Jennifer Jones and, and names like that. And it's just, we've got such a big grassroots base, um, to kind of produce this, uh, this support for, uh, you know, aspiring young curlers to kind of look, look up to. And, uh, I think that's 
you know, that's been kind of part of it. We've we've got a really good support base as far as uh, our, our extent of local clubs and and uh, and young people playing the game. That you know, we've been able to produce a lot of great uh, great uh, individual and team curlers. Once we update the uh, weather forecast, we're going to visit with Craig Baker on another curling issue that came up in the last 24 hours, and that's the issue of of uh, kids 12 and under uh, being asked if if not forced to wear helmets while on the ice. Uh, I don't know if you ever wore a helmet when you were a youngster. Mike, have you got a take on it now that you and Don are, are parents of a little girl? Does that change your idea of whether or not kids should be wearing helmets when they're curling? Uh, you know, I'm gonna have to think about that because it is scary. You know, um, now that we have a little girl, I, you know, I want to do everything to protect her. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there probably is uh, a lot of merit to that. Ice is a pretty darn hard surface. So <laughs> definitely don't want to get any kids hurt out there. And, uh, I just wanted to actually, uh, just let you guys know something. Um, our, our team has, uh, kind of a, a bit of a history with uh, trying to find uh, um, foundations that we can support. And, uh, you know, this kind of goes in with uh, protecting uh, kids from, uh, you know, hurting themselves. Uh, we, uh, we, we just partnered with the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. And uh, we'll be proudly wearing their logo throughout the 2017-18 season. And we'll be uh, hopefully coming up with some cool ideas how to, how to promote them and our team can help uh, raise funds uh, for their uh, foundation. And as a kind of little bonus that we wanted to launch today, if uh, Winnipeggers and Manitobans can get behind us and uh, and support us in uh, the Everest voting, that uh, we would uh, make a donation from our team for $1,000 if we uh, have the lucky chance to play in this event. And if one of us should be so fortunate to win, uh, we're going to up that to 5000 uh, to play in the Everest Curling Challenge. So hopefully we can uh, make the event, but we're definitely going to support the Children's Hospital Foundation throughout the season with uh, some cool ideas. So we're looking forward to that partnership with our team. Well, that's kind of an exclusive here, uh, announced just here on 680 CJOB. Mike, thank you for that. We appreciate you sharing that with us. Congratulations on that relationship. Outstanding people over at the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. EverestCurlingChallenge.com. Get online. You can vote once a day. You've got today, tomorrow, and I guess to Thursday is the 22nd? Yeah, that's right. And I'm just 11:59 looking, Eastern. <laughs> I'm just looking right now, Mike. I see that uh, Team McEwen has 21,272 votes in second place, behind uh, Team Epping. Is that John Epping out of uh, Peterborough? You got it. Uh, yeah, he's got 21,710. So not only do we need to get a Manitoban in, but for God's sake, we can't let somebody from Toronto get in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys spin it however you want. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen on and off the ice, Mike McEwen, I appreciate that. And uh, thanks a lot for making me look high and low for a corn broom. I've got all the electrical tape for to mimic your corn broom, but my boys both want corn brooms to, to throw with next year. So I want to thank you very much uh, for that challenge in my life. 
Well, if you ever have trouble finding them, just give me a ring. I'll help you out. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Mike McEwen <laughs> joining us this afternoon. EverestCurlingChallenge.com. Also announcing uh, Team McEwen's relationship with the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. And uh, they need your votes. We can't, you're right, we can't have this Team Epping from Ontario nudge Team McEwen from participating in the Everest Curling Challenge. As mentioned, we'll take a pause, update your forecast, then we'll tell you about Curl Canada and their mandate, their pending mandate for helmets on the pebbled ice as we continue. I'm Greg and he's Brett. Just got off the phone with Mike McEwen. One more time, Everest, curlingchallenge.com. Team Epping is just ahead of Team McEwen right now to compete in that tournament. Really cool format out in Fredericton, New Brunswick at the end of August. You can help get Team McEwen into the game. An announcement from Curling Canada Late yesterday, a decision that's pending, and that would be a mandate for curlers 12 and under to wear helmets on the pebbled ice. Craig Baker is the executive director of Curling Manitoba, Manitoba Curling. And Craig, uh, how do you feel about this decision from Curling Canada? Is this a long time in coming? Uh, I guess to clarify, it wasn't really a Curling Canada decision. All provinces helped make the decision, so we all had a say in, 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 in something like this. So but, uh, absolutely, it's something that we're looking at from the standpoint of, of looking at how do we minimize risk, and I think every sport is doing that. Does this happen often in curling where people are, are, are falling down and injuring themselves? I think it's a matter of whether or not being proactive or reactive, and I think we're looking at, at all aspects of it. And so we're, we're looking at it from a, from a standpoint of, I believe both ministers, whether it's provincial or national, have in their mandate letters from their bosses, either the premier or the prime minister, to to look at concussion education and concussion risk. And so, if we're looking at that from a very political standpoint, as we're saying, if we can get ahead of the game and start showing showing some initiatives from our sport and what we think we need to do to to help minimize that, we're definitely going to be exploring all those options. I know at our curling club, it's already mandated for for the little ones. The kids in the Little Rocks have had to wear helmets for two years now. So this would go uh, 12 and under, regardless of what level of play. I, I think for the set, I think it's there. Definitely, I think it's going to be some competency based to it. Uh, it's hard to say that we're mandating. I think right now we haven't used the word mandate. We're, st- we're strongly recommending, and I believe uh, we're in an opportunity time now where we can we can help uh, produce a lot of educational material so that people at their clubs can make their own decisions and, and make those decisions with their insurance companies, with their board of directors, and with the people running their junior programs. There's so we're no- definitely st- strongly recommending under 12, just, just from a competency base. And then obviously as kids get older and, and, and stronger, clubs can make some of their own internal recommendations as it stands right now. And this is definitely a risk for those on the ice. Uh, fair to say, Craig? Well, as I as I said to a few people, I mean, in essence, we're 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 giving someone a slippery shoe and telling them to go stand on some ice. So, um, absolutely. I mean, I think we're looking at what we, what we can do. I mean, we've had people talk to us say, "Well, are you also doing it for the seniors?" And you know that I won't say that that discussion hasn't happened, but I, I think it's a standpoint of for us, it's it's about producing materials as well. So we're going to continue to to send stuff to our clubs so that they can make informed decisions and. And I think that's the, the real premise that we want to get out there is saying by no stretch of the means that we're mandating something, but we're we're definitely making sure that, that people have education and have resources at their disposal so that they can do that. And we know that, um, especially in the sport of curling, as it would be for other sports, 
but it's there's a there's a perception out there too. There's an image, right? And and at, at no point are we saying that there's we're expecting Mike McEwen or Brad Gushu or what to pick a name to be wearing helmet at the Briar. I believe we're a long we're a long long way away from that. But I think we're we're definitely looking at how do we produce and how do we make sure that we're providing a safe environment for for those to participate in our activities. Craig Baker, thanks for your time this afternoon. We appreciate that. We'll catch up to you on this topic as we make our way through the winter. Absolutely. Anytime we can talk about curling, we're happy. So thanks for approaching us. Executive Director of Curling Manitoba, Craig Baker, joining us. It is 227. Global News at 230 is coming up next. We are a city of festivals, a city of fun. I know when I used to go to Vancouver on a very regular basis, like once a month minimum, Vancouver has an interesting nickname amongst the locals. They call it the city of no fun. <laughs> really? And yes, because for years the city council would vote down proposals for you know this street party, that event. In fact, uh, the Indy, the Molson Indy in downtown Vancouver around False Creek, of course, that's all full of, you know, four and five hundred thousand dollar condos now. But back in the day, it was fairly wide open around False Creek, and they, that's where they hosted the Indy. But it was the neighbors that forced it out complaining about the noise all the time. In Winnipeg, I think we have a pretty strong reputation of hosting an outstanding party and having an awful lot of fun. You used to hear that, though. Uh, I remember when the, was it the, not the Stones, was it maybe, did David Bowie yes, play the stadium? Twice. We're, we're going back to the late 80s or early 90s, but there was Bowie and U2 and the Rolling Stones, we had a sort of a series of big, major stadium concerts. And I remember hearing about people complaining, people who lived in that area complaining. And I'm not saying the entire neighborhood, all the whole of St. James. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a handful of people were complaining that it was it was noisy because there was a rock and roll concert at the stadium. And I just thought, come on. For the amount of times that it happens, it's not worth complaining about. In fact, I always thought those things should be celebrated. I used to be able to see the top of the East Grandstand of the old Winnipeg Stadium from my bedroom window. And there were times when I would listen to CJOB, Bob Irving, calling the play-by-play on my radio and then hear the cannon through my window celebrating a touchdown on the radio and in kind of in real time all at once. So, you know, come on, you know, let's have some fun. (laughs) I know some people in in the Southern part of the city, maybe not too excited about having a football stadium in their neighborhood, but we digress. We're going to have some fun right now. We've been telling you today about the sixth annual 680 CJOB Winnipeg barbecue and blues festival. It is presented by our friends at Lux barbecue company and we are joined now by Rick Fenton, who is the Artistic Director of the Winnipeg Barbecue and Blues Festival. He joins us live on 680 CJOB. Rick, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this year's lick, Lip Smackin' Hip Shakin' Street Party. <laughs> hey, Greg. Hi, Brett. How are you today? Doing great, Rick. How about yourselves? This is an exciting uh, day for you and this uh, awesome event. We sure are, and uh, I would be remiss without thanking you guys. CGOB has been a big part of it, boy, since we started it six years ago. So this is happening at uh, Smith Street and the Burton Cummings Theatre. Was it last year that was the first year for this location, or has it been there now for more than uh, a couple of years? 
No, last year was the – you're correct, but last year was the first year downtown, yeah. So how did that work out for you? I mean, you're going back there, we so really, I, I guess well, the answer is no. We really, we really liked it a lot. It was, um, you know, it, it allowed us to really connect with the downtown. Certainly, the city of Winnipeg has been a big supporter, and um, you know, they're always looking to animate the downtown area. I mean, we loved the other places we were at, but it just felt like, you know, with the burden Cummings, uh, certainly that brought in a rain or shine feel as well because we can utilize that during the day as well. Um, you know, it's it's super easy for transportation. It's very easy for the artists. You know, we've got a we've got them all over at the Fairmont there, and uh, you know, it just it just made total sense. And uh, like I say, when we started talking with the city about it, they uh, they moved heaven and earth literally for us to let us take over those uh, those blocks around uh, Smith and the and the Burnt Cummings Theater. Rick Fenton is the artistic director, Winnipeg Barbecue and Blues Festival, the sixth annual. And how about this now idea of, I would call it like a hybrid event where you've got paid events inside the Burton Cummings Theatre and then a plethora of free events outside. It seems to be a model that works for the Jazz Festival and in particular the Fringe Festival and brings a lot of people and just brings a certain je ne sais quoi to the Exchange District when those events are on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that the uh, the free admission is something we added. You know, we listened to our, our patrons. And um, one of the things they said was, particularly at being in that downtown core, um, if you start looking, you know, not that there's anything wrong with doing a whole weekend at a festival, but a lot of people want to drop in. They want to see friends, maybe have a beverage, have something to eat, go, come back. Um, you know, and then there are the hardcore fans that are there that want to see those headliners, that want to see people like the Fabulous Thunderbirds and the Blind Boys of Alabama. And, of course, for that, we have to charge a ticket price. Um, but, you know, we are blessed, um, you know, through our sponsors and through help and through, uh, you know, sales of food and things like that to be able to offer some amazing talent outdoors on a very, very beautiful professional stage um, and so that our patrons can enjoy that. Uh, as well. So you're right. It's that sort of two-tiered, you can come for an hour, you can come for a day, you can come for the weekend. And as far as the barbecue is concerned, I mean, this is some top-shelf stuff, right? We're not just talking about a couple of guys out, you know, cooking up some burgers and hot dogs. (laughs) No, every year, again, we listen to patrons, and we just have to keep increasing. Um, You know, Winnipeggers love their barbecue. There's no question about it. So this year, we are putting as much food out there as we possibly can for people to eat. We're looking forward to it. Um, you know, we've got, oh, uh, as Kevin Donnelly from uh, our partner said today, um, you know, ribs, turkey, ribs, drumsticks, ribs, pulled pork, and ribs. So that's... Uh, well said. It's a it's a can't miss combination. I mean, I know there are some vegans out there who are you know trembling right now. But uh, let's face it: for those of us that that like to eat meat, it'll be a great place to go. And how about uh, Phil Squarey and uh, his team over at Lux Barbecue Company for uh, jumping in to to put their name on this as well? Well, they're great supporters and a wonderful company. If you were there last year, I mean, they really go above and beyond. They have you know. Besides just selling some of the top quality products that I've seen at barbecues all across North America, you know, they're also really, really knowledgeable. I mean, uh, it was great to see all the the women and men that work for Lux, you know, engaging with people and talking about rubs and what they like to cook and, you know, and, and talking about what the best gear for them, given, you know, size of footprint and what they're cooking. Yeah, they, you know, they're, they are the pros from Dover. There's no question about it. <laughs> 
So how can people get tickets? I know Ticketmaster is involved. And uh, which dates do we block off on our calendars one more time, if if you don't mind, Rick? No, sir. It's 11 and 12. Um, as we talked about, there's wonderful, wonderful talent for free outside. But the uh, fabulous Thunderbirds uh, are on Friday, August 11th. Uh, the Monkey Junk uh, is opening up for them. Great Canadian band, Juno Award winners. And then Saturday, August 12th, Blind Boys of Alabama with one, you know, great band from Manitoba that's doing very well these days, the Mariachi Ghost. And you can just head on over to Ticketmaster. If you go to our website at uh, winnipegbarbecueandblues.ca, uh, you can Google that and you can click on a single button. It'll take you straight to the tickets. The best ones start at 60 bucks per night, but there's also uh, packages for both nights. Um, and if you want to sit a little higher up, then the prices go down from there. So we're trying to keep it, as always, as reasonable as possible. Rick, do you go on a substantial diet uh, in the weeks leading up to this festival? <laughs> um, you know, I try to, uh, but you're right. Uh, every day, and and um, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard. I, I mean, I remember one time uh, we were doing the press conference very early uh, for television one year, and um, a guy who was a, a grand champion from the pitmasters was making ribs at 5:30 a.m. and um, you know what they, they are for breakfast they actually work for breakfast <laughs> yeah, well it's hard to say I would imagine it's hard to say no to all of, to be around all that delicious food and say no no I'm I'm good I'm full right now yeah. hey, who doesn't like <laughs> steak and eggs I mean you know meat yeah. is for breakfast after all yeah. The only way it could be better for me is if, if on Sunday and teardown day I could go to the wagon wheel and have the and have the turkey sandwich again, but those days are gone. Yeah, those days are gone. Rick, thanks for this. We look forward to catching up with you as we move closer to August 11th and 12th for the uh, 6th Annual 680 CGOB Barbecue and Blues Festival right in the heart of the downtown in the Exchange District outside Burton Cummings Theatre. Going to be a ton of fun. Thanks, Rick, and uh, congratulations on this. Thanks, gentlemen, and we'll see you down there. You right. absolutely will. Yeah, I think we'll have to make sure that we find a find a way. to. We'll have to go down there and do some research. I suspect we might have to maybe just do our show from there on Friday, August the 11th, from 1 till 4 in the afternoon, and then that way we don't have to commute. Yeah. We'll be right there. That sounds like a show ends. That's a great idea. Bubba, are you listening? <laughs> Please make it so. After our weather forecast update, we will go to Pinawa, Manitoba. Find out what's been going on out there. They've had some interesting visitors from afar in the last little while. We'll find out what might be brewing in one of the most beautiful parts of our province, Pinawa, Manitoba. We'll visit with the mayor when we come back. Sometimes geographical points of reference for Brett McGarry are associated with the game of golf. Would Pinawa fall under this description, Mr. McGarry? Yes, Pinawa would. They, <laughs> I have been to Pinawa Golf Course just once, sadly, only one time, and I've been trying to get back there ever since. It's a, it's a lovely golf course and a lovely place. The mayor of Pinawa joins us now. Blair Skinner joins us uh, from the beautiful town of Pinawa, Manitoba. And Pinawa has undergone, undergone, undergone some economic upheaval over the last, uh, or upheaval over the last uh, decade or so. And uh, Mayor Skinner, I would congratulate your town on the way you've handled the changes in Pinawa and really trying to do everything you can, not only to keep your your town on the map, but to take it to new heights. Tell us about the visit that you just had from some folks from China. I think I said it like Donald Trump there. 
<laughs> from China. Well, good afternoon, and uh, thank you for having me on the air to talk about this uh, very exciting development. Uh, so it really started uh, a year ago when we hired uh, an economic development officer out of the Asper School of Business, and uh, he has been uh, a tremendous uh, game changer for our community in terms of economic development. Um, he is uh, Chinese in origin, coming from Shanghai, uh, so he has great ties with the Chinese community in Winnipeg and also still in China. So in uh, less than a year, he had made arrangements for a delegation from Pinawa to go over to China and visit three cities, uh, Herza, Wanzhou City, and Shanghai. So it was our uh, economic development officer, Shane Lee, our school district superintendent, Tim Stephanishin, myself, and a, a couple of entrepreneurs we're working with and a travel agent partner we have from Brandon uh, all made the trip over to uh, visit these three cities in China, uh, totaling 50 million people. One of the cities we visited uh, was Wanzhou City. We spent about three days there, and uh, we met with uh, business people, people in the education area, tourism, uh, business incubators, technology parks, uh, economic development, and, and pretty uh, high-ranking officials in that city. And uh, the immediate outcome of that is a delegation of seven business people, plus uh, the organizer uh, from Wanjiao City came to visit us here on June 8th in Pinawa and also spent the day uh, in Winnipeg on, on June 9th. So this was a direct result of uh, our initiative. And um, before I forget, I want to thank the uh, board of directors of the Pinawa Community Development Corporation and the School District of Whitechell for supporting us on, on uh, uh, taking this chance to go uh, to such large cities and see what we could develop. It's uh, already paid off. So at first blush, a lot of people may be a asking, what would folks from China see in as an advantage to maybe relocate or invest or immigrate to Pinawa? What was the what was the advantage that you were trying to sell, Mayor Skinner? Well, we have um, the opportunity to develop uh, businesses at the uh, the Whitechell Laboratory site. It's a, a tremendous. Um, asset, the land and access to power and water. So we think that would be a good place for um, for manufacturing site and other commercial development. But aside from that, we uh, we live in pretty wonderful tourism area, as you were alluding to earlier. And, uh, and I will say that the golf course has never been in better shape. I played it yesterday, so you have to come out and uh, play again. I'm going to try, uh, Mayor but, Skinner, for sure. Yeah, uh, the, uh, but... And in the education area as well, uh, in all three cities, there is a lot of enthusiasm to develop education opportunities for their children to study abroad. And uh, so we, we took those opportunities to talk with them. And, and really, we're just having opening discussions on what the possibilities will be. So typically, these... Uh, uh, cities have visited places like Toronto and Vancouver, but never before in Manitoba. And uh, also see it as being access to uh, to large parts of the United States as well because of our central location and so on. So 
and, and also uh, one of the things we learned over there is there's a strong agricultural component to their economy, and, and we all know that that's important part of Manitoba's economy as well. So there is some uh, definite uh, common ground to have a discussion on, and the discussions were all very positive over there and also over here, and, and these are just starting. Well, I applaud you for doing it. You mentioned that it was a, a member of your staff who had uh, roots in China who, who sort of kick-started all of this. Would any of this happened had it not been for that person? Uh, no, uh, absolutely. He is the one who uh, who brought this opportunity to us, and, and kudos to our boards for seizing the opportunity and making the most of it. Uh, uh, it was to some extent, it was a stroke of luck, perhaps, that we were able to recruit this uh, young fellow to come and work in our community. But uh, but we were patient and waited for what we felt was the right person, and um, and it's really paid off. And, and not just on this trip to China, many other things that we're working on as well. You know, when I think about China and I think about the, the, the gigantic cities there, but also you mentioned the agriculture, it's such a vast country but do, do you get the sense that they see Canada as this vastness and and this uh, never ending wilderness and are they blown away by that uh well there's there's no question there's uh there's huge difference in in our uh, in our countries and uh, I, the delegation who came to Penwa were were really pleased with uh, with the open areas. Um, they loved the golf course, although we didn't play golf. But uh, we we also uh, took them for a boat tour on the Winnipeg River, and they totally loved that. Uh, they loved the deer in in our community. Uh, they didn't like the worms, though. They didn't care for those <laughs> at all. And, and uh, we had a barbecue on on the Thursday night, and it was, it was just a completely different atmosphere than. Uh, uh, what we saw in China, and uh, they were, I, I don't know whether blown away is the right word, but they were certainly inspired, and there's going to be plenty of follow-up that comes out of this trip. Well, Mayor Blair Skinner, thank you so much for joining us to tell us more about this. Mayor Blair Skinner of Pinawa, Manitoba. Pinawa recently hosted a contingent of Chinese officials, delegates, entrepreneurs, and as well as you heard, the mayor and a delegation from Manitoba headed out to China. Coming up to the 3 o'clock news on 680 CJOB. 3.07, Tuesday afternoon. I thought it was Thursday. Feels like Thursday. I know days don't have a feel. Hey, we're having an effect here. EverestCurlingChallenge.com. Team McEwen closing the gap yep. on Team Epping. Go to EverestCurlingChallenge.com. Mike McEwen joined us about 40 minutes ago. Not only did he plea with you. Well, no, he didn't really plea. He was very gentlemanly about it. He asked for your support so that uh, he and his teammates could compete in the Everest Curling Challenge. Go to EverestCurlingChallenge.com and then scroll to the bottom and you can uh, vote for Team McEwen to be part of this very unique golf golf. I have golf on my mind. Curling uh, curling event in Fredericton, New Brunswick coming up at the end of August. Uh, when we started this thing, I think Team McEwen was down by about 500 votes. Yep. I think we've just about cut that in half uh, yeah, in the last little bit. Well, it looks like it's about uh, is it still 450, I think. Oh, so okay. No, yeah, okay. So, so I was getting ahead of myself. Quietly. Well, slowly he's sort of chipping away. There have been a number, a significant number of votes for McEwen, but Team John Epping from Toronto is still getting a fair amount. So we need to get McEwen's votes up. We can get 
Mike McEwen and his team to this very unique event, the Everest Curling Challenge. Again, the website, everestcurlingchallenge.com. And also an exciting exclusive announcement here. Team McEwen announcing their brand new relationship with the the uh, Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba and the fact that they will donate $1,000 uh, to the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba if they manage to uh, get into this event and 5000 if one of their team members happen to win. Uh, one of the big vices in our newsroom, Brett McGarry, are... Potato chips? Correct. Here's good news. This just came across globalnews.ca. Chips are healthier for kids than raisins. This from dentists. Come on. Rejoice, my friend. Rejoice. They may be known as nature's candy, but dentists say raisins are not much different from traditional candy when it comes to kids' teeth. In fact, this is the good part, chips and popcorn make a better snack. Chips don't have natural sugar in them. They have to be converted to sugar. So from a tooth decay standpoint, raisins would be more detrimental. And I'm not reading anything else in the study or in the story, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> you just wanted to know that chips are better for the teeth for, of children yes. than raisins. This justifies what we do here just about every afternoon. Yeah. I, uh, oh man, the chips. Chips are, are my weakness, dude. They are the bane of my existence. There's always a bag of chips open around here. And I'm telling you, man, last year when we had the chip moratorium for about a month, I lost like 10 pounds. Just from not eating potato chips at work every day, it is, it's a plague. Really. Is it's that a, a fact or is that hyperbole? No, I lost 10 pounds. My goodness. Just from, that was the, I mean, I, I did exercise a little bit more, but it was the the chips that, that was the only change I made to the diet. And sure enough, I lost a bunch of weight. So if I could eliminate chips, I'd be a much happier guy in terms of my, 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 Physique, but my midsection. The insides of my tummy would be sad. They would miss the chips. Feed me chips, my stomach is saying right now. And and your taste buds, I suspect, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeff Courier is on holidays for the next couple of weeks. That means Hal Anderson is on the air from 10 a.m. till 1 p.m. leading into our program. And it's always great to visit with Hal. Hal lit the phone lines up this morning. Yes. With regard to a conversation about the city's involvement in golf courses. The city operates and also leases out several golf courses in our community. That revenue was budgeted last year to come in at $800,000. It only came in at five. Oh, get out. Tristan Field-Jones and Jeff Fortier eating chips over there. You, you're chip trolls right now is what, what you are. If you can picture this, they're between what, like uh, three feet of glass Yep. on the other side of operations here in our studio, and they are licking their lips, licking their fingertips, and eating chips in front of us as we speak to you right now. Trolls. Yep. Whatever. A- anyway, we digress. Uh, golfing, right? That's what we were talking about? Yes, the city. And the fact that the city was budgeting to bring in $800,000 on golf last year only brought in 400000 That started the discussion about whether or not the city should be in the golf business or not. Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, like this last caller that was just on the air, he's talking about, oh, yeah, like, Tuxedo Golf Course is worth all this money. 
you know, the, the whole point of city, the city getting into golf courses to make it affordable for people who couldn't otherwise golf. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I and I made that point at the end of uh, that call with Bob. So I I kind of made your point, but but go ahead, expand on that because you're right. That as uh, Kelly Moore and Brett McGarry were saying uh, a half an hour ago, uh, it is about kids learning to golf at an affordable price. Yeah, and like say, say inner city kid who says he's got a single parent, they they have one job, they can't afford a car. He's supposed to drive out to who knows where to learn how to golf. This kid can jump on a bus and go to Kildona Park and go golfing or go to Windsor and go golfing. You, you take that away. Like, for some reason, people seem to think that everything has to generate money. Not everything is about money. No, you're like, right. You're it, right. It, but, it, when, but when our roads are crumbling, uh, some people question where the money should be spent. And a lot of people, I don't, I'm not saying you aren't making a good point and you're entitled to your opinion, but a lot of people would say money shouldn't be spent on golf courses. It should be spent on roads and other stuff that's more important. Some people will say, you may not agree. Well, and then if that's the case, then people, they shouldn't be spending money on all these brand new soccer fields and, and baseball, of course. Like, you, you want to take things away from the people who use them. Like, the, the golf courses are making 400 grand a year. That's, that's better than nothing. You, you go to a baseball diamond, it doesn't make any money. Like, no. it's costing money. And then the, nobody at the golf course, I can tell you right now, that last caller said people are making $30 an hour to mow the grass at the golf course. That's not happening. Nobody's making $30 an hour. Okay, not even a city worker, eh? Well, no, maybe a guy that's worked for the city for 30 years. And he's at a top rate, mm. but you got some. You hire some eighteen-year-old kids. They're not paying them thirty dollars an hour to cut the grass. Passionate radio, yeah. Passionate conversation right here on six eighty CJOB. Hal Anderson in for Jeff Courier for the rest of this week and next week. The golf conversation is one that brings out a lot of different sides, a lot of opinions, and very in-depth discussion on priorities in particular are something that come up every single time this story makes its way to the headlines. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tricky situation, and there are too many layers really to get into over the next couple of minutes. I would just say that I like the city golf courses. I just wish that they were, that the greens were taken better care of. But, and I also think that if they continue to raise the fees at the golf courses, then it's just going to, they're not going to bring, I think they need to lower the price, if anything. Drop the price, get more people to go play. What I said to Hal was, if you look at Kildonan in particular, sell off nine of the holes, the ones that are all north of that train track, develop that into condos or apartments, let the taxation that's generated from those new housing developments pay for the new spectacular nine-hole golf course that more people, I think, would play and have more time to play and make it a reasonable rate, make it a development, all golf-oriented and have some of those funds directed because that's one of the most popular parts of the city to live right now. And land has never been more valuable in Winnipeg than it is right now. It might be the perfect storm to shrink that 18-hole course to nine and make it spectacular. I think that's actually not a bad idea, Greg. It is coming up to time to have a quick look at traffic and weather starting in two minutes. It is 20 degrees. I'm just guessing right now. 
21 at 680 CJOB. Thank you, Jeff. Four day. <laughs> Up and down. Yeah. Uh, Weathers for the Club Region Event Center presenting Theory of a Dead Man, July 7th. Tickets available through Ticketmaster. Visit casinosofwinnipeg.com for details. We have these weather reader devices in the news booth. There's one in the control room. We used to have one in here. It's, it's gone. Been, it's been gone for like a year now. And I don't know where it is. So I always have to, we have to load up this website in the studio and I seem to forget to do it at least twice a week. <laughs> You'd think that I'd have a checklist of things, open this, open this, open this. No, I'm just getting forgetful as I get older. So. 21 degrees. Thank you. Hey, we got to give, uh, got to give away some stuff. Okay. Snake oil gets twisted. The Snake Oil Sinners, featuring Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. Monday, June 26th, that's this Monday, at the Burton Cummings Theatre. Described as an authentic theatrical tribute to rock's biggest stars. And for this show, they will be joined by one of them, Dee Snyder. The song you are listening to right now is I Am, I'm Me. Songs. It's one of the, one of the, my biggest pleasures that I've taken out of this contest the last couple of times we've done it. The TS research. Yeah, because I mean, I know I had "Stay Hungry" the album, so I knew a couple of songs, one or two songs, particularly one which it has stood the test of time. This song, "I Am I Me," we want to know what album is it from and what year is it released. 204-780-6868. What album is it from and what year was it released? 204-780-6868. If you know the answer, you could be going to see the Snake Oil Sinners Get Twisted, featuring Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister, Monday, June 26th at the Burton Cummings Theater. One of the underrated rock and roll voices, Dee Snyder. He can, he can actually sing. And he's a smart guy, and I remember brilliant. I remember watching a documentary on heavy metal. I think it was simply called Metal, and they sort of brought you back to the 1980s, where Dee Snyder walks into the Senate room with his cut-off jean vest and his big blonde frizzy hair as he takes on Al and Tipper Gore, and essentially takes them to school. So that's a, if you can. Get, that was the whole censorship debate with the uh, Two Live Crew album and all that sort of stuff, right? That yeah. Warning labels on music, and Dee Snyder said, "You will not censor us." <laughs> that is well, I'm paraphrasing now, but basically, you're right. He did. He lit up those those hearings in Washington with not psychobabble, but absolutely brilliantly articulated thought, fact. I love the guy. Maybe we'll have to revisit some of that at some point this week. But in the meantime, we got to stop and have a peek at your forecast and then sports with Tristan Field-Jones starting it's 21 in two degrees. Minutes. Brett, do you remember when Participation announced that 150, 150 activities to celebrate Canada's 150th birthday? We had that young woman on and she told us about some of the activities that they were going to be promoting and 
encouraging people to try during Canada's 150th birthday. Yeah. Do you recall that? I do. Hmm. One of the activities is swinging. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like from a rope or whatever. Well, that's what I would have thought. Our uh, colleague in Global, at Global in Calgary, Jordan Winsel, who was the weather guy here in Global Winnipeg for a while, eh, he didn't quite take it that way. Your participation. I can't do this. He thought it was something what? else. Your participation activity today is swinging. <laughs> it was acceptable back when Hal and Joanne were kind of the face of participation. <laughs> that's a not, that's get a not what they mean, Jordan. <laughs> oh, swinging at a playground. Back that up for a second. Uh, F-11 there. Fish yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, and I think it's... Here it comes. Go to the dollar store and get a fishbowl. <laughs> oh, swing at a playground. I didn't even catch that. I wasn't expecting this fishbowl reference. <laughs> yeah, put your keys in a bowl. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately. <sighs> so, either way, you get your activity in for the day, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's that. Well, good cardio. <laughs> Oh my God. Some of the best, they say. <laughs> Some of the best, they say. Oh. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Really? Amber Schenkel and uh, Scott Fee are the other two voices so on this say, audio. The video is, is going somewhat viral right now, and everyone in our newsroom that has watched it and or listened to it has uh, roared at the top of their lungs, so we wanted to share it with you this afternoon. Yeah, that's a good laugh. It's a nice sort of honest clip. It's nice to see the the anchors losing their minds a little bit. He's just he's beside himself. That, that, swinging? Come on. I guess you have to live in a certain headspace for that to be your initial reaction when you see that word, right? Yeah, but I like how uh, the video, it's sort of left still to the imagination. But then on the Global News website, they make it abundantly clear. <laughs> and we'll just we'll just tell you the headline. News blooper, Global Calgary anchors lose it over swinging mistake. If you want to read more, you can just Google that headline or look for it at globalnews.ca. Need to quickly congratulate our winner of the snake oil goes gets twisted tickets. Snake oil gets twisted on Monday. June 26th at the Burton Cummings Theatre, Snake Oil Sinners featuring Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. And we are playing a song. We'll just play a quick clip. Yeah, that's the song is called I Am, I'm Me. It's by Twisted Sister. And the question was, what album is it from and in what year was it released? And Steve McEwen is today's winner. The answer is... You Can't Stop Rock and Roll, 1983 was the year that it was released. And if you were listening yesterday, you will note that, that it was the same answer to yesterday's question. You're tricky. Just a different song yesterday. Tricky, not the, tricky. The Kids Hashtag. Are Back. That's right. The yesterday's song was The Kids Are Back Today is I Am, I'm Me. So we have more tickets to give away through the weekend, or through the week, pardon me, and we will do that. Before I forget to ask you, Greg, why are you wearing a tie today? Oh, tonight is our annual Hoops from the Heart 
celebration, we uh, invite we. There, I, I'm on a board. We've been doing this for nine years now. We invite 150 inner city youth down to the Duckworth Center. We give them a basketball. We've handed out over 1,100 basketballs in the last nine years. A T-shirt. We feed them. And then the University of Winnipeg and University of Manitoba men's basketball teams get together and they play a game against uh, university alumni that are from Winnipeg that went to school either here or across the country. We have a good time, invite the public down and have a party. And we were Dr. Grant Pierce and myself on uh, Global Morning this morning with uh, with Shannon this morning. So oh. I had to step up my uh, attire a little bit. What, what do you call it when I wear a suit? My getup. Your getup. What's with a getup? I had a uh, had a getup on. So come down to the Duckworth <laughs> Center if you want to see some killer basketball uh, around 6 o'clock uh, this afternoon. We also have a Jonathan Taves autograph framed jersey uh, to raffle off as well. It'll look good in uh, any man cave, any office uh, whatsoever. Uh, some of you might be heading out to the X tonight. Here we go. Our friend and co- colleague Tristan Field Jones was there last night with Matt Cardi, Shadow Davis. That's just some of the audio, some of the sounds. Uh, Tristan having fun on that ride there. I don't know. That was on the mega drop last night. So uh, he says it only fell for three seconds. It, it felt like a lot more than that. Yeah, it sounds like it was done in one second. Just whoop, done. Absolutely. Do you like the rides? I love rides. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm more a fan of, of rides like that where it's a straight on thrill as opposed to stuff that's kind of spins you around. I think if there is speed involved, I'm okay. I can get on the tallest roller coaster and it'll, you know, as you're sort of going up the hill, it's nerve wracking. But once you get going, man, it is exciting. I love it. I could do it all day long. But the rides that kind of spin you around and stuff, I don't know. Not I think it's more just just not comfortable. I'm I don't, scared. I don't know the name of the roller coasters at Valley Fair in Minneapolis. You've been to Valley Fair? I have been to in Valley Shakopee, Fair once. Minnesota. Yep. Uh, they've got some cool uh, roller coasters there. One that's pretty steep on the way up and in a probably, I don't know if it's, it's definitely not 90, but it'd be probably about 85 degree drop. And uh, there was no way I was going on it the first time I went down there. My buddy Jared went on that roller coaster with his girlfriend. He got off of it. He goes, Mackling, it's no big deal. It's You'll be fine. <laughs> so we, I okay, fine. I trusted him. Get on the roller coaster. And, you know, you get the tick, 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 tick. You're going on the way to the top. And he yep. uh, looks at me. He goes, oh, by the way, I lied. It's going to scare the heck out of you. Oh, no. And he didn't use the word heck. And uh, I screamed, uh, much like Tristan Field Jones did in that last clip. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks a lot, Jared. Glad you live in Calgary. I don't miss you at all. Well, yeah. on that note. Feel better now. We'll have a look at traffic and weather. And we'll hear from Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham to tell us what's coming up in the news. All starting in two minutes. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling and Richard Cloutier is here to tee up the news. Julie's going to join us momentarily. Rich, what do you have coming up in the news? Dr. Donna Turner is probably Manitoba's foremost expert. Uh, She's an epidemiologist on cancer. And uh, fascinating to find out a little bit more as we dig into the cancer story today. But also um, with lung cancer, and we had all the generation of smokers that started, you know, years back. And now they're getting cancer. 
And uh, south of the border, there is a screening test that we're told is coming to Canada. Mm. And once you're able to pre-screen and target those two-pack-a-day smokers, how much is that going to make a difference in that early diagnosis of cancer? And I'm told that uh, either Quebec or Ontario is uh, on the cusp of being able to offer uh, this type of screening to uh, people in, in those provinces. Manitoba wouldn't be too far behind. But when we talk about screening, we talk about all the, the cancer screening that's out there. But for the big one, lung cancer, there still isn't that reliable screening test. Well, the technology has improved such that uh, that we're getting to that point. So we'll talk to Dr. Donna Turner after the the 4.30 news. Lots of fun coming this way as well. Uh, I know you spoke earlier about barbecue and blues. We had the opportunity of uh, being the presenters out at uh, outside the Burt. A lovely day. So we'll tell you more about uh, barbecue and blues. And later this evening, we're going to talk to a uh, professor out of the University of Alberta on what they're doing out there that is really saving lives. It's a real, uh, it, it, it's a takeoff on Roots of Empathy, a program that is very successful here in uh, in Manitoba and a lot of schools here. Um, they've tweaked it out there mm. and, it, and they're showing great success. And of course, the latest on the breaking news situation that we've been telling people about in uh, in Brussels. Roots of Empathy created by a former Winnipegger. Amazing program where babies come into the school. It's uh, It's a great way to have kids relate to babies and to relate to each other on a very, very uh, empathetic uh, fashion. All right, Richard Cloutier, thank you so much. You'll have more on the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB, along with Julie Buckingham in the couple of minutes that we have left here. We should point out right now, just mark your calendars in case you happen to tune in every 2.30 on Friday afternoons for Dr. Cyrus, our psychologist pal, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He always comes in Fridays at 2.30. He wasn't in last week. Uh, I, I guess... Uh, well, he didn't want to talk to Tristan, I think. Uh, so and Tristan he, scared the bejesus out of him. Yeah, and again, who could blame him? But this week, we have asked Dr. Cyrus to come in at 2 o'clock because we have somebody coming in who can only do 2.30 that day. So if you're looking for Dr. Cyrus on Friday, make sure you tune in at 2 o'clock and not 2.30. Once again, drcyrus.com if you want more information on how to get in touch with our psychologist pal. And Carolyn Clausen as well joins us Thursdays at 2.30, our therapist friend. I'm now craving a visit to Valley Fair. Really? I I didn't know they had this place right next door. It's called Soak City. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Is this an old thing? Is this old news? It was there when I was in Valley Fair, but we only had made time for the one day. And But they had a fairly big water park, and that was, we're talking like, I bet you 20 years ago now. So it's probably three times the size. Most a lot of these big parks now in the states have. It's all sort about of, the water. Well, they have they have sort of a separate water park as part of it, so that you can make it a two day sort of extravaganza where you spend a day in the park and then a day in the water park. Part of the problem is like if I went to Cedar Point in Sandusky, Sandusky Ohio. Ohio. That's sort of the mecca. Yes, of indeed. roller coasters. Wow. You spend. I think I I figured it out. I spent eight hours in lines. For to ride for, I think it was on rides for 11 minutes of that day. Because <laughs> some of the rides will go two, three, four minutes, but you're waiting. What's this? Just more screaming of Tristan. You can talk over this about roller coasters. I want to listen to it. Prepare yourself. He's on the mega drop, getting ready for the mega drop. 
I don't know what that noise is, but I can't get enough of that audio or that video. Tristan Field Jones. Well, sounds like he had a good time. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Jeff is in Master Control. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.